Welcome to Vino Week, episode 45. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. This is Al. We're ready to talk some wine. Got that's, lots of great topics today, Bill. Yeah, that's for sure. It, there's, it's never dull um, as the world turns in the world of wine. I, I can't say that uh, I'm surprised, but uh, I am uh, disappointed that uh, Ravenswood Winery is going to be closing up, uh, I believe, next month. There, uh, it was uh, purchased by uh, the brand, actually. Uh, Ravenswood, if um, our uh, listeners don't know, is probably one of the ultimate, uh, one of one of the um, uh, just uh, a stalwart as far as a Zinfandel producer. Yep. And they have probably one of the best tasting room experiences that you could have when you go into Sonoma Valley. It's a beautiful location. They really take care of people there. I don't know how they pack them in when they pull those buses in like they do, but it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. You've got a great winemaker, uh, Joel Peterson, uh, just a fantastic um, operation from the get-go. But they were bought years ago by uh, Constellation Brands. Constellations blew up the brand. Um uh, when I say blew up, they uh, increased the production. Yeah, and uh, but they still managed. Joel still managed to make some uh, higher end um, um, uh, Zinfandels, and uh, they just got bought. Uh, there's a big um, blockbuster um, deal where Constellations is spinning off all of their uh, lower price brands, so uh, they ended up with uh, the Ravenswood brand, but they didn't buy the property. So, um, Constellations is, uh, nobody knows what they're going to do with the property, but they do know that it's going to be closed down and all the people that work there are going to be, uh, moving on somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's funny. Ravenswood was the first winery that I remember going to do a tasting with, um, when I had visited, Yeah, my sort of first personal foray without people into Napa and Sonoma. Mm-hmm. And the day that I was there, they were, it was during Crush. It was in October, no, it's it probably September. And there were a bunch of volunteers that knew Joel from his days. He had a legal career, I believe, or somebody did that was involved. So there were like all these lawyers that were crushing, picking grapes and crushing grapes, you know, going through the process. And Zinfandel was, you know, I, I have good memories, right? Zinfandel was very much a gateway wine for me um, in terms of getting to know more about wine. And Ravenswood definitely, their logo was cool. The whole tasting room experience was super cool. Um, the property, as you say, was was stunning. So it's kind of it's kind of sad that it's going it's losing that, and they did manage to retain their tasting room um, experience as a scaled, which is not often that usual. Um, I mean, it was super organic the day that I went there. I mean, it was like going to a family winery, um, but you know that got bigger. But it 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 was a really good um, good experience, and it's sad to see it go. Yeah, bad. Uh... Well, you know, this is all, this is uh, what they call the corporate uh, corporate rating, so to speak. Yeah. I will say this, you know, I'm just speculating here, but um, one thing I'll say about the Gallows is um, uh, the Gallo operation is uh, they're pretty shrewd marketers, and um, 
they typically don't mess up things that they acquire. I mean, you could go down the long list of wineries that they own that they go in and they always seem to make stuff better. So I, I'm hoping and I'm thinking, even though the tasting room probably won't be at that spot, you know, who knows, maybe Gallo will say, uh, you know, we want to buy that property too. Um, but they're, they're, they're pretty good. Um, they're, they're really good about, uh, taking, uh, properties and, um, and making them better. So I, I, I think that some good things are going to come, come out of this. doesn't seem like this at the moment, but, uh, let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's also a line in there. This, so this article's from the press demo. I did not, who wrote this? Lorna Sheridan. Um, she's citing somebody in the article that says Gallo's going to drop the uh, brand. Um, mm. Yeah, it says uh, Sonoma. This is a quote from the article. Sonoma source inside the wine industry voiced concerns that Ravenswood will drop the brand. Gallo is a specific business model. When you crunch the numbers, Ravenswood doesn't fit that model. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah, I wonder what happened with the. Um, you know, uh, they have a huge. Uh, they have a huge uh, production facility facility uh, out there in Carneros. Uh, Constellations does, and that's where they put together all their blends for Ravenswood. So I wonder what they're going to use with use to use to um, that facility for, or if they're just going to mothball it. But um, Constellations is going upscale, and they're trying to just buy brands that are you know in the in the premium market, i.e., uh, twelve, thirteen bucks and up. Yep. Yeah. So, Fifteen. Yeah. Um, and they, I, I mean, it's also worth you know they. Um, so they, so what do they get? Thirty. So the deal to Gallo is a billion seven, um, which is you know not cheap in the wine business. And no. they got thirty, thirty priced wines and spirit brands. Um, that's what Gallo, Gallo got. Does I don't know what spirits Gallo already owns, but that's interesting. I don't know if they they have a lot of spirit business already. Or spirit yeah, Gallo. Yeah, Gallo. Typically, this is something that they typically—they're uh, not known to do. That's usually, they don't buy brands. Yep. Uh, usually, they buy—they uh, buy real hard assets. Yep. Um, wineries. Yeah, or, so they're uh, buying the winery plants. or the production facility, um, in conjunction with the brand. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they need any more production because years ago Gallo bought the Asti property up in uh, uh, Clinksdale. That's massive. So, that's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's big, it's a big factory. Well, I mean, we're chuckling about that, but what that means is that they can centralize their production facilities, and that actually lowers your cost because you don't yeah. have to have, you know, a production facility on every property. You bring your you bring your grapes to your production facility. I mean, it actually makes sense, especially if you operate it on a on a regional scale where you don't have to truck everything over uh, uh, everywhere and in the case of where we live you would have you know production facilities sort of accessible um like in sonoma county sort of central in the county where you could get to it potentially from grapes from mendo lake um and uh sonoma and then you might have one further south and east over into you know napa and american canyon where you can get stuff all the way in from the central valley and possibly even south because there's good road access in there so yep. that stuff just lowers your cost and 
you know, if you're putting stuff on a truck, you can put, you know, a ton of grapes from vineyard A, a ton of grapes from vineyard B, and a ton of grapes from vineyard C. I mean, you can, it, it makes sense. So that, especially when you're in production like this. Um, and I, I think um, just to, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think when people think of Gallo, they don't really, they're not really sure. I mean, I could just run through just off the top of my head. There's a ton of brands that they own and it's not just California brands. Um, they have, uh, they own uh, Gascon, the Malbec that you see from uh, Argentina. Um, they run a bunch of wine out of Fry Brothers Winery, which is in Dry Creek Vineyards. Um, they own uh, J brand, um, the sparkling facility. Yep. Um, uh, Louis Martini, uh, uh, just, I mean, they, they're big. <laughs> when you go into a store and you're looking at these brands, it, it, I mean, Gallo owns a lot of these brands that are on the store shelf. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say Gallo, but their, their fingers are around, uh, you know, they, they own those properties and they also are a big distributor. Uh, Gallo actually is, a distributes a lot of high-end wines from around the world so uh it's uh you know they do uh they do a, they they're more involved and they're bigger than people think and it's a privately owned company so you know it's a family company yeah and they have <clears throat> they have double with double digit percentages of the overall wine market in terms of consumer sales i think um sell no wine before it's time yeah, that was a great commercial. Now we're dating ourselves a little bit. Yeah, but that's <laughs> been around for a while. Um, they've been around for a while. And if you're going to scale, it's the only way to do it. Um, speaking of, of I, I'm going to switch it up here. Speaking of big business, um, you know, you see the big business clash, clash often in farming. Um, so, you know, industrial farms versus organic farms. And Al uh, has an article this week about the fast food versus organic food playing out in Italy. Oh man! And so you were just there too. In I Italy. was just there. And, and so uh, did, did you see any of this? Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, I did. Uh, there's actually. Um, well, the article has McDonald's, but we yeah. stayed on uh, Lago de Garda, Lake Garda, the largest lake in Italy. We stayed in De Cenzano, okay. and uh, actually, there is a McDonald's in that area <laughs> that has a drive-through. Um, which but, if you, uh, which is very unusual in Europe. So it's not a very. So first of all, one of the funniest things that I experienced when I moved to Europe is they don't they drive when they're in their car. There's yeah, no eating. There's no eating. <laughs> there's no drinking. There's no looking at yourself in the mirror. You you drive. I actually got pulled over for drinking a cup of coffee one day. I was speeding too, but I got in trouble for holding a cup of coffee. It's a good story. <laughs> And I think I was eating a bagel on the way to work. All of which are, is is not you're supposed to be driving. They can t- technically write you tickets. So this article basically talks about how organic organic farming and producers are are rapidly rising, um, as well as fast food too. And so they're having a lot of uh, you know there's tension. That's what I was kind of taking out. Um, but the kids definitely like the fast food. Um, yeah, well, it's not just kids. I mean, I saw all kinds of people um, in those um, in those places. But it's interesting, you, the part you brought up about the driving, it's true. Um, in general, and I'm just saying, you know, I haven't been to Italy, 
a number of times, you don't see people driving and eating, and you you really don't see people that live there. You don't see them eating and walking. Most people, they go to a spot, they consume and converse, and then they walk. Yeah, and it, it, one of the things I love most about Europe, and but that is both living there and working there, which I had an opportunity to do in my life, is that you have a meal. There is no, you eat. You eat three times a day and you eat your meal and you don't do anything else during your meal. You're not working. You're not sitting yeah. at your desk. You're not, you sit down with people that you know and you break bread. Yeah. And it's very much, like even if it's 15 minutes, they will still stop, sit down, eat your thing and leave. It's not yeah. like doing it together, you know, like driving and eating. So I always really appreciated that. It's true. They stop and do everything they do. When we were in um, when we were in Milan, we had um, we met up with uh, um, a friend of ours, his brother, and he owns this uh, famous watch shop, which is right across from the Duomo. We went in there. We sat. We talked with him for a little bit in his shop, and then it was like, "Oh, it's time to go to lunch." He closed up his shop. There's no sign that he puts on like "closed." We'll be back. You know, there's none of that. He just closes up, and we walk off. We go have lunch. And it's great. And uh, his, you can hear his phone going when uh, people are trying to contact him, but he wouldn't pick it up. No. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm eating. I'm eating. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I, I like that a lot. I think that, that that is something that's missing from our culture that uh, I think we would benefit from. So uh, I don't know if you saw, but when I was there, I uh, recently I posted a photo of uh, – uh, in Milan, actually, just like maybe like four or five blocks from the Dormo, there's a KFC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, it's just the, the irony. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And it, I, and this article talks about how there's uh, this family who is, for various reasons, you know, either living there or, you know, studying or working there and they come together to eat and they all want the, the kids all want to go to the KFC restaurant to eat the non-breaded sandwich, which the no bread sandwich, un yeah. panino, Cezana, Zabane. Yeah. And man, does that thing look like, wow, that's a sandwich. It, it look, looks it like two fried chicken breasts and cheese. And I think there's bacon and heaven knows what else is hanging out of there so i'm like wow is fast food different in in it, in it nope i'm looking at the sandwich i'm like nope that doesn't look any different than something you get in the states yeah that's the uh kfc double down <laughs> wow so i i have two i have two young sons so i'm eating way more fast food than i've eaten in a long time and uh i would say that our favorite right now is taco bell we we like the taco bell concoctions it's taco bell and imagine. panda panda express we eat a lot of panda yeah i could imagine when you're like uh uh going between games or whatever i mean let's let's face it you don't have time so you're yeah. on the go so you know you're trying to get to a ball game or something you, you gotta you know you gotta pick your poison right yeah yeah well you know i like the old-fashioned poison old-fashioned fast food of cured meats and cheese <laughs> and fruit yeah that's the excuse that I like to eat that stuff. But um, the other the other thing that's interesting to me in this article. Um, so the last time I spent a lot of time in, in well in England and in Europe, the English will tell you that they're not European. Um, of course at, not. At least they're having a big referendum over there right now about that. Um, <clears throat> is is time? You know. So we talked about how people sit and eat 
but their advertisements that I'm seeing in this article, and there's some reference to it, is how fast you can get the food. So there, there is this pressure, I think, um, around, you know, breaking up that ritual of, you know, taking time to break bread. Um, you know, I think, you know, modern life, we're all about trying to be faster. And, you know, I think fast food lends itself to that type of culture. Um, they, you know, these the foods also, you know, it's a lot of processed food. So um, I was going to ask you, Al, when you were there, do you notice people looking a little heavier? Do they look like more like Americans? Because, I mean, you know, I go to, I, I travel, you know, you travel outside the United States. It's like, wow, you don't look American. You're just, you're just, you're not as fat as I am. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, I I didn't notice anybody, uh, you know, we were kind of in a village where it was, there weren't a bunch of tourists around during that time. So, well, that's good though. That's a good indication. Everyone is, everyone's pretty thin. I think, I think what I got out of this article also was that it's, you know, fast food is part of it and there's this fight Mm. with organic food, but you know, the reasoning why people are so into organic food, it's, it's, I guess it's a Eurocentric thing is they think that, it's going to be helpful for the climate of the world. Oh, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big part of it. So it's not so much that, you know, I'm just eating it just because it's going to be good for me, but not only is it going to be good for me, but it's going to be good for the world in general and for the generations beyond me. So that's kind of where this, this slow food, um, not this anti slow food or speeding up, uh, food, uh, but the food, even though it's sped up and it's fast food, is still organic. So, it's, uh, you know, you, you see, uh, you know, at the end of this article, you, you know, he goes, um, the the guy that writes it um, has posted a picture of a Starbucks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in the airport now, there's there's a Starbucks. And you can get, like, American coffee, whereas... I don't think you could have done that. I, well, I know you got it. I don't, that Starbucks is new. Right. <laughs> so you, you couldn't do that uh, four or five years ago. There wasn't a Starbucks at the Milan airport. So um, it's definitely uh, it's definitely changing. But uh, that's a pretty interesting article. I, I got a kick out of it. You know how they eat breakfast over there, right, Bill? In Italy, In Italy. I, I do. Well, I, you know, I'm familiar with. I, I don't know if Italy's different than my experience in Spain, Germany, and, um, England. I mean, the Germans basically eat like a cold cut breakfast. Um, you know, you'll get some muesli cold cuts and it's not big. So they eat a little bit of something in the morning and then they start eat. they eat a big meal, um, at lunch in Spain, you know, it, you'll have something which could be, and again, it's typically small, where it might be, you know, a frittata, a slice of frittata or some fruit, um, maybe some cold cuts. Maybe you'll find some Serrano ham. But again, lunch and dinner is big. England, I would say it's more like the U.S. It's kind of cereal and you maybe you'll make an omelet. They have the English, the traditional English breakfast, which is the fry. The fry. They call it a fry, which is, yeah. you know, scrambled eggs, typically fried in, in the grease from whatever, you know, sausage you're having. Maybe black pudding. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In Italy, it's uh, it's it's much more streamlined. So you go in, and I mean, breakfast is coffee, coffee, and um, maybe uh, 
a croissant. Yeah, and and so that I would say Spain's closer like that. Like if you really want something substantial, you'll maybe get a frittata. Maybe somebody's got like a literally like leftovers from the night before, and then yeah. coffee, coffee and a pastry. And as my and as my son said, if you've earned it, you can come in. We saw this older guy come in when we were there having our uh, our coffee and and cornetta. This older guy came in and and he had this just a like a a half a beaker of like grappa. Oh, yeah. And and my son said, well, he's earned it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like ten thirty. I go, yeah. I guess you're right. He has earned it. Yeah. Yeah. My my uh, both of my grandfathers were. Um, immigrants, <clears throat> babies when they came here. But my, um, I guess, be my great grandfather. Yeah, he had a he had a shot of of cognac of good cognac in his coffee every morning. Yep. You know, and both he and my my grandfather, they would you know, they would you know they had beer on the job. You know, they had beer at lunch. That was my experience. Switzerland, France, um, England, they had just done done away with it. At lunch you could get you can have a you can have wine or beer at lunch. Gotcha. Um, and it, you could have as much as you want, <clears throat> but the the culture was you have one. One, yeah. You have one. Um if maybe you're going on vacation that afternoon, you could have two. There would be a reason, gotcha. a really good reason. But that was, I think that was more of the business's culture. Things are very different there in terms of how people treat alcohol. Um, at least that's my experience. It's not about getting wasted. It's not about drinking. Um, we've talked a lot about this. It, and we're going to talk about an article here in a minute where, you know, wine is food. You know, and I tend to eat that food every day. Um, are you talking about the, uh, the wrath of the grapes? Yes. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it... Uh, it's not about uh it, it is just part of it's part of consuming that um that product as food so yeah yeah, yeah this is uh john Federa. uh he writes a blog uh primarily about tuscan wines but you know he has a, he has a pretty uh pretty wide palate also but i follow him a lot um he uh went on a two week uh he went on a purge i'm sorry i'm laughing <laughs> He called it the purge. Yeah, you yeah. took a two week break from uh, drinking. It just happened to coincide with. Uh, it wasn't Lent. It wasn't a Lent yeah. thing. It just coincided yeah. with it, as he pointed out. I'm just pointing out what he said in the article. Yeah, and he, you know, he bring and he, he talks about uh, the effect that it had on his body, and uh, you know, there's really was no alcoholism when it's in his family, but you know, was, he was curious to see what effects would be if he took two weeks off. So uh, he took two weeks off, totally cold turkey. And uh, one of the high points, I thought, one of the first things he he said was he expected to lose some weight, but fatal complete, not so much. He lost a total of one pound. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't change anything else, but he only lost one pound by not drinking in two weeks, which I find is amazing because I know if I uh, take a week off and don't have any alcohol, I would definitely lose more than one pound. Yeah. Um, uh, and the interesting thing, the, the one super interesting thing that resonated with me in this article was he said that he, um, I, I think he's he's a, a little bit over 50, but he said one thing he noticed was he slept remarkably better as time went on. That resonated uh, with me. 
Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah. he also uh, called. I, he also called out bourbon as a bad culprit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said with wine. It's interesting. He said with wine, he'll wake up and go back to sleep. But he said, unlike bourbon, where I stay awake for an hour and then go back to sleep. Yeah. It's like ah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Definitely, as you age, your body processes. Of course. So first of all, we all process this stuff differently at different rates. I mean, there's an average, but no one is exactly average. So the aggregate is this average you know, that we say based on weight, you'll process so much alcohol an hour. It's completely different for everybody. And how, <clears throat> how your body processes that with regard to weight is different. A lot of that depends on what you're eating as a diet. At least the science I've read says this. Um, my own personal experience is very much similar to his about less about weight control, but more about, uh, sleep. Um, you know, if I have three glasses of wine, I don't sleep as well. Um, I definitely sleep better if I don't have any alcohol, you know, uh, during the day. And that goes for beer and wine I'm, or mm-hmm. spirits. It really doesn't matter what it is. Um, and so I, you know, I definitely, um, you know, the the uh, issues in treatment around addiction aside, um, you know, it's always good to, to try these things, I think. It's fun that he wrote about it. It's definitely fun to have the, uh, you know, it's sad that, you know, it's sad that he only lost a pound, especially if he had expectations to lose more. I also yeah. like what his friend said. Um, I want to get his name right. Um, Pietro. Um, he called it his self in self-imposed prison. <laughs> he goes, "Why are yeah, you putting yourself yeah. in jail? This is stupid." <laughs> Yeah, why this are you doing ridiculous. that? True. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, years ago, um, for me, I want to say, gosh, it's probably now, it's probably like six or seven years ago, but I did, a, it wasn't a self-imposed, but I did a three-month period where I didn't have any alcohol, and it's because I had a, I got, I got a sinus infection, Boy. and after I got that sinus infection, I lost my ability, I to smell things. Well, it's like your palate's probably blown. Yeah. I mean, I literally couldn't, I, I couldn't, like you could open up a, a, a beer and I, I couldn't smell it. Yeah. And that's <laughs> really, smell. if you, if you rely on that and lose it, it's really disconcerting. And it also, yeah. I, my, I, my other assumption is it's also really takes away from your enjoyment of the, you know, it's part of the thing. Uh, I, I you know, I'd like, I, I will say this for myself. I mean, part of my, the reason I like to consume these things is I know a little bit about them now so I can appreciate some of the other sensory experiences that come with them. One of which, of course, is smell and taste, you know, your palate. So when you take that away, it's kind of like, you know, you start, am I drinking just to get drink? Like, what am yeah, I drinking what's, for? What's, what's what the is, point? Yeah. It's like, if I can't, if I can't get the, the, the sensory uh, smells and and the and the, and the taste is muted because of that. I mean, I'm not even going to imbibe. So yeah. that's kind of basically what happened. And uh, also, my, I just remember I remember vividly that, but my enjoyment of food was um, same thing squelched to a great degree also. And uh, it was a tough period, man. And I remember because I got a pretty good stash of wine. I thought I was thinking, well, what am I going to do with all this wine? <laughs> I can't. I'm not going to ever be able to, I was literally, am I ever going to get my sense of smell back? Oh man. It was really strange. And then just one day I remember walking out 
one day I walked out and uh, as I walked into the, you know, to go to the car, all I could smell was just like wood, just oh. like a ton of wood, yeah. just like super, super strong. And there had just been laid a bunch of um, uh, wood chips out and um, just for like maybe like three or four days, man, that flavor. And that's when it came back to me. <laughs> That, that aroma. Just tasted everything. Everything smelled like wood chips. Yes, and I would go by a house with a shake uh, uh, roof, uh, shake wood roof, and I could smell just. It. Man, oh, that's like a, my nose was on the roof. You know, that was funny. And, yeah, it was really weird. But that uh, I don't know what so happened. Weird. It just it just all of a sudden it came back. Some like chemical thing got tuned to wood, and that's what you picked up. That's so crazy. Very very strange. <laughs> sucking on a sucking on a pee. It's like you know getting something that's over oaked, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. So hey, um, uh, real quick, I didn't want to miss this. This is a fun thing. I know you have a, a whole bunch of uh, thoughts about this, but there was um, I don't know if I sent you this. There was an article by the Wine Commudgeon, and he was writing about uh, pay to play. Yeah, yeah. And how it's wrecking wine criticism. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just. Uh, I'll just say a couple of things. First of all, pay to play is not just in the wine business; it's in all businesses. Yes. It's everywhere. Get a clue. It's how business is done. The news, <laughs> the news is funded by corporations who buy advertising. <laughs> yes. Yes, like political ads. Yeah, go look at how much money the major networks made off of political advertising. That'll give you. That'll start to give you some clue. And if you don't, if you think that people who are paying for advertisement do not have influence over the publishers and the people that write and what they write, you're fooling yourself. You're flat oh, out fooling yourself. Yeah, you you really are. Um, there's a if you get a chance, uh, the guys that uh, do Vine Pair, they did a podcast and they talked about it. And they were they were pretty uh, they were pretty hardcore about you know hey you know you shouldn't be doing this if you're a wine writer you know you shouldn't be taking trips and going places and it's like it's just that's not going to ever stop <laughs> people are going to do that man it's and a, uh, are they going to be influenced as you said yes they're going to be influenced yeah, I mean, and you, uh, you know you can't help but be if yeah. somebody you know flies you to Greece <laughs> for a week yeah. I mean you're going to write about their product right. And you're probably going to say some good things, yeah. or you're not going to get invited back on trips again. Right. So, um, but it's an interesting, uh, interesting post. I remember years ago when I was in the business, one of the things we did, our paper play, paper play thing was, I'd go into a restaurant, and you know we had um, um, products, and I I'd, I'd sell X number of products to um, the restaurant owner, and I'd say, hey, look, if you do this, if you do that, you let me carry your house wine. I'll print your, um, I'll print your wine list for you. Hey man, how is that not pay to play? Yeah, and what you know, I mean, one but, man washes the other, man. Right, and what was that worth to the, what was that worth to the restaurant though, in terms of cost? I mean, that's a cost savings. It's not yeah. trivial. Yeah, it's not a trivial thing. I mean, you run a restaurant and somebody walks in and says, "Hey, I'll, I'll, um, you, you know, do you have a a sommelier? No." Do you have anybody that helps you with your wine program? I'm kind of doing it myself. Well, I'll help you. I'll do it for you. I'll print your yeah. wine list. You just make it easy for them. They're going to buy. Well, you just ceded control over that part of your business to a brand. That's what happens. Um, and in terms of publishing, I worked for a publisher for a while. 
definitely um, <clears throat> who was very um, they would prioritize their editorial voice over any type of financial arrangement and that their brand carried that with them you know if somebody if they wrote about somebody they they were thought of in the business as being um, you know they complete editorial license they would tell you that too before they took your advertising money that we're gonna say what we're gonna say and if you don't like it oh well um, and yeah. they were willing not to be invited back I will tell you it was very hard it they didn't make it anywhere near as much money as other people did who were doing this mm-hmm. um, anytime you visit a winery um, especially if it's a small winery and you happen to be talking to one of the people that are uh, involved principals in the business um, if you ask the right questions they will tell you this too they will tell you the story that goes like this a a prominent wine magazine or publication or website will come in they will interview them they will uh, uh, write you know they'll come in and say hey we're doing this great article on your type of wine Pinot we're doing the Pinots of Sonoma of Russian River Valley um, we want to come by and take a look at your property taste your wines they do that they um, say how wonderful everything is and three days later the wine advertising the wine magazine ad guys show up and say right hey. next to the article about Sonoma County Pinots we're doing this whole special advertising special on Pinots would you like to be a part of it yep. uh, can't guarantee your winery is going to make the article but at least you could advertise in the section do you want to yeah. buy and so this is how this goes down you put your money down and lo and behold you're prominently the more you spend the more prominence you are in the article plus you have this really nice ad it's great right all these people are coming in your business it's great but that's how pay-to-play works is um, it a coincidence or no just... i mean this is just the model i mean it's the model that's been going on i watch mad men for christ's sakes i mean it's this is how this is how it works you just have to be an educated consumer to know that if you're reading these publications and they're scoring these wines this way, it could be influenced by, not by the product, but by people who are moving stuff around um, behind the scenes. That's just be an educated consumer. That's the net my, net. My, my greatest, uh, my, my greatest uh, uh, point for this is uh, pick up a wine spectator. I didn't want to call anybody out, but Chankin Media is a billion-dollar wine, uh, a billion-dollar media corporation for a reason. Yeah, they are. Pick up a Wine Spectator and just, you know, uh, just look at the ads. Yeah, and I, then, it's ad-supported advertising. It yeah. somebody has to write something that's favorable to their advertisers for them to make money. It's just it's just that simple. And there aren't a lot of those publications around. And I'll tell you that if you're so, um, we don't take money from advertisers. Um, we don't advertise on our blog. We have been offered these things, um, but we are concerned about our editorial voice. Um, and we're doing. We're not doing this to try to make a living. If you're trying to make a living, I would imagine it would. It just gets to the point where like you have to start doing some of this stuff to get money in the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know you're. You know, you got to pay the rent this month, and you were counting on it from you know your side hustle, which is doing wine uh, reviewing, or you've gone all in and are trying to make a living at this. You're short. Somebody shows up and says, "Hey, you know, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and I'll give you this money." You're going to do it. You have to do it. So, is it wrecking it? It's just it's going to influence this stuff. I mean the. The wine marketing people have been all over the blog since it kind of appeared. Yeah. 
you know, and and they made a lot of inroads fast because they're paying thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to places like Wine Spectator and and others. And the bloggers showed up and they're like, "Would you like a thousand dollars for a post?" They're like, "Are you kidding me? Will you take? I'll write twelve. Can you give me twelve k right now?" And they're like, "Yeah, heck yeah." I mean, that stuff's getting more sophisticated, but it it's it exists, and you just have to be very. Um, just have to be very uh, you have to understand when you read stuff who uh, effectively who's paying for it because somebody is well um I'm, I'm just uh this is an awkward uh awkward move but uh not a very good segue but speaking of advertising i guess i could say no it's good <laughs> um bottle rock napa's coming up and um I've never been to it. I don't know. Have you been to the Bottle Rock? I have been to Bottle Rock. I went to Bottle Rock two or three. Okay. I think the second one. I'm I'm a little bit crowd adverse, so I don't know if I would I, I would fit in. So <laughs> one of the reasons I didn't, I have not. So my wife has been back to one post, the one that we. So I went to one with her. I think it was the second one, and then she went to the third or the fifth one. Um, they were they were odd ones. Um. I liked it the first time because the crowds, the crowds were not compared to other festivals like this. The crowds were a fraction of the size, so you could mm-hmm. actually move around. Stuff wasn't so crowded that you couldn't move around. You know, you go to some of these things. You're waiting. You know, you're waiting twenty minutes to get something from a vendor. Yeah. Um, you know, you can barely move to see people. You know, down front you expect people to be packed in, but even as you get back away from a stage. You know, you get to places where you can't even move because it's so crowded. None of that happened at, at, at in, in Napa Valley. The venue's not huge in terms of its overall size. I mean, this thing's like in the city of Napa. It's like smack in the city. So it's yeah. not a massive piece of property. Um, my wife kind of echoed that the crowds were bigger than when, when we went, but still sort of manageable. And the stuff that I've read recently is it's just kind of, um, it's kind of chaos. Uh, in terms of the crowd size, yeah, the the citizens uh, that are there that surround where it's happening are, aren't very happy. But it doesn't look like it's going away. Um, I think the, all the VIP passes have been sold out. But I mean, you can still get tickets to this. And if you're a music fan and if you're a foodie um, and you don't mind the crowds, I'd say it, it would be uh, well worth the trip to Napa to, to do it because usually the weather's pretty decent that time of year. I mean, it's the middle of May. Uh, so the weather should be pretty good, Here, and uh, yeah, it should, should be a good time. It's a three day. It's a three day event. So it's uh, I think it's uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, and I, here's what I, here here are a couple of things I will I will tell you. So I know a little bit of that town, so I was able to short circuit a lot of the parking problems that people have. So what we did is we actually went and camped. There's a state park that's probably. Uh, 10 minute bike ride away from the fairgrounds mm-hmm. so we went and parked at that at that campground we got a campsite there and and so we just rode our bike to the venue and then we were nice. done we rode our bikes back and we just crashed that night there so you didn't have to worry about you know drunk driving or you know any any other bad thing that happened there and of course i have a camper van so i'm sleeping in my own bed effectively and that was cheap i think it was like 20 bucks for the night I'm sure those things probably sell out. Um, Napa had a bike boulevard from that campground all the way down to the venue. So there were like 
you know, it was, it was safe. And then they had a bike, they had like the bike coalition from Napa. You could just take your bike there and they would take your, they would take care of your bike. They like, it was all secure. That's a Um, good tip, man. Yeah. It would, it, it, it saved a ton of time. Uh, when my wife went the next year, she took a bus over from Sonoma because they have these buses that come. I highly recommend don't, unless you're going to camp, don't drive up there. It, it will, you, it'll be a nightmare. The, um, cause there's just no place to park. They, where they park people, the buses, they drop them off at the fairground and then the buses go to a holding area that's back at the old Napa pipe facility. Oh, okay. So like, well, if you miss your yeah. bus, there's no like going to the bus depot to try to find your bus. Um, wow. And when, when, when my wife went the second time, she said that was all messed up. The other thing I'll tell you, and the reason that, and you just said this, the reason for going is you're not going to get the type of vendors. Um, the only other place you're going to get vendors like this is at Outside Lands. And um, even at Outside Lands, the vendors you're going to get are, hey, good luck. I mean, just look at the crowds of that thing. That thing's blown yeah. up. It's insane. That's 20 to 30 minutes to get something to eat or get a beverage. Um, in Napa, because of the size of the venue, they can't put as many people in there as they can in, in uh, Golden Gate Park. So you're, you're just, the crowd's limited, and you're going to get wine, beer, and food that you can't get at, you, you can't get um, at Lollapalooza the types of vendors you're going to see anywhere near the types of vendors or quality you're going to see at Bottle Rock. I mean, the wineries alone are, are they're not going to be in Lollapalooza or other big shows like this. Um, so it's worth going to, especially if you like the, the music. Yeah, I recognize a few of the chefs, but I didn't recognize all of them. I've been out of the loop, but uh, they're going to have some really high-end chefs. They're, uh, Duff Goldman's there. It's going to be there. I mean... Yeah. Well, there's a lot of TV people there, so there's, yeah. uh, you know, Lashmi from um, um, Top Chef. There's somebody from Queer Eye from The Short Guy, um, Iron Chef. You know, he has a restaurant there, Morimoto. And then Andy Zimmerman, who does, like, he does, like, weird food or unusual food or crazy food show. So those people always be will be there. And they always do something fun. They always pair a chef with a celebrity. Um I think the guy that put this stuff on the map was Snoop Dogg. He was there, I yeah, think, yeah. for one of the first ones. And, Him and, um, and um, Martha Stewart, yeah. Yeah, and hey, Martha uh, Stewart. You know, if I was going to go you know, and take the wife, I'd go there. I mean, the big draw for me when I saw that Marshawn Lynch was going to be there. I mean, <laughs> there you go. I mean, come, come on. Heck yeah. It'll be good fun. It'll be good fun. All right. Well, I think that'll probably do it for this week, yeah? I mean, we yeah, can yeah, prattle on forever, but um, we uh, we appreciate everyone who listens to our cast. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, please do. You can reach us at info at vino101.net. You can hit us up on the Twitters at vino101.net. Al is very active there. Post a, post a shout-out. Um, and you can always post a, uh, a comment on our blog. Uh, so thanks for listening and cheers thanks everybody cheers